Christ Church Kingwood is a Christ-centered church that seeks to proclaim the gospel in both word and deed by glorifying God and making disciples of Jesus Christ. Join us now as we worship together in the ministry of the word. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. This morning we're going to read together Galatians 4, 21 through 31. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children from slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. It's a really long walk from the back. Hey, hey Daniel, I feel really loud. Is it loud? I think speakers behind me is really weird. All right. How's everybody doing? All you people way back in the back. And this is really weird, too, to have people looking down on you. I mean, metaphorically, it happens all the time, but physical representation is a little bit, no throwing, just um, good to be here. Uh, it's, this is, it's just crazy. I mean, thankfully, not thankfully, but there's not as many people as last week. I was prepped for that, and it would have been more chaotic. So next Sunday, be, be warned. Uh, great to be here, though. Let's pray, and we'll jump in. Father God, it is good to worship as your people. Though mildly displaced and crammed into a foyer, God, we are thankful for the space, and we are thankful for the freedom to gather, and to worship. God, we ask that your spirit would move powerfully this morning as we talk through this difficult text, God, that our eyes would be open to the lengths to which you have gone to secure our redemption, and that we would be moved to worship this morning. Amen. All right. How'd everyone love the text? Right? Uh, this is widely considered the most difficult text in all of Galatians. So if you just listen and were like, say, say what? Then that's okay. A lot of people are with you. You're probably not alone. I've been thinking about this text coming since I opened the book in the first week. It was like, man, 
That's a lot. And the primary reason that this text is so difficult for us today is because Paul's argument is deeply rooted in Jewish history. It presupposes a fairly robust knowledge of the Old Testament, which honestly is pretty uncommon these days. In this short text, Paul references Abraham, Sarah, Hagar, Ishmael, Isaac, Mount Sinai, Jerusalem, and two covenants. So, if we all grew up in Jewish rabbinical school, Paul's allegorical argument here would probably be infinitely more clear. But since, as far as I'm aware, none of us did, you could correct me afterwards, I will do my best to explain, though I did not grow up in Jewish rabbinical school. So while the historical kind of cultural emphasis of Paul's argument here may be hard for us to fully comprehend, the point that Paul is making isn't really all that different than what we've been talking about most of this letter, right? Off the bat, in verse 21, Paul begins by kind of calling out who he's addressing this to. He says, you who desire to be under the law. So, Once again, while most of us don't probably spend our time just immersed in Old Testament law or hanging out with our Judaizer friends, there are many such people today who functionally desire to be under the law. They put themselves and live under the law. They are people for whom religion is legalistic, who imagine that the way to righteousness is through observance of certain rules or keeping some moral standard. It's the people who think that being a good person will justify them before God or what I've heard a lot, I do more good than bad. You know, I'm better than whoever. It's also professing Christians who often subconsciously view the Christian life and their value through the lens of actions they perform, often beating themselves up when they don't live up to some standard that they've created or being hard on others, those around them, when the standard that they've created isn't upheld. And I know that many of us can relate to that. The subversive, sinister little legalist that lives inside of our flesh and constantly condemns us is is very real. And as we've already seen in this letter, Paul argues against the futility of pursuing righteousness through the, the law by using the law itself. He says, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? Right? Have you read the law? Do you know what the law requires? The very law that you've chosen to put yourself under has you in bondage, under a curse. The law whose servant you have chosen to be will be your judge, and it will condemn you. And this is what Paul is working out in our text this morning through these somewhat odd and difficult verses. And really there's three stages, you might say, to Paul's argument. First is the historical, second is the allegorical, and then third is the personal. And as always, they kind of bleed together some. 
But starting with the historical argument in verses 22 and 23, Paul says, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. So, at the outset, some of us may need a little bit of an Old Testament refresher here, right? You don't have to raise your hand. You could, but back in Genesis chapters 16 through 18, generally, we read about Abraham and his wife, Sarah, and they were both crazy old. And Sarah was barren. She couldn't have kids, but God promised that they would have a son. So that was super cool, but then what happens? Time passes. They got older. What God had promised didn't happen as quickly as Sarah would have liked it to have happened. So, what do we do? She just took it into her own hands to, to make things work. So she says, hey, Abraham, why don't you have a baby with my servant Hagar? Great idea. Really, really good idea. And kind of like Adam, Abraham didn't say anything. Like, hey, this might be a bad idea. Maybe we should think this through, Sarah. No, he just went along with a bad idea, and Hagar bore a son, called him Ishmael, and big surprise, it didn't make Sarah happy. She was bitter. She became bitter and wanted to get rid of Hagar now and Ishmael. But God was gracious and promised to bless and protect Hagar and Ishmael. And then sometime later, God sends these three men to Abraham to reiterate the promise that he had already told to Abraham that they would have a son. That in a year, they were going to come back and Sarah would be with child. And Sarah overheard this and thinking that she was being private and sneaky, she laughed. So one of the men were like, why are you laughing, Sarah? You don't think God can do this? And she's like, no, 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 I didn't laugh. And the God's like, girl, yes, you did. <laughs> and guess what? One year later, when Abraham was 100 and Sarah, a young 90, she gave birth to a son and they named him Isaac, which means he laughs. And these are the two sons of Abraham and the two mothers being referenced in our text. And this is how Paul starts his argument. Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman, Hagar, and one by a free woman, Sarah. And so I just want to explain what Paul's going to do here, first historically and then allegorically. He's using the story of Abraham's sons to differentiate between physical descendants of Abraham and the spiritual descendants of Abraham. As, as Paul kind of worked through in chapter 3, it's not the, the physical descendants of Abraham who are heirs of the promise, but rather, chapter 3, verse 29, if you are Christ's, then you're Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. And this is really what the Jews were missing. Their claim to fame was we're descended from Abraham. And so in their minds, they, they thought that meant that all the promises of God were already theirs. 
because of their bloodline. But they were wrong. They had missed the substance of the promise, which is Jesus. This is why John the Baptist would show up, you know, wearing his camel hair and eating locusts and say to the Jewish leaders, do you do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. See, John the Baptist came to prepare the way for the Savior, for the fulfillment of the promise. And these guys were like, we're good. We got Abraham. We're his, his kids. And we're still waiting on the Messiah. Obviously, it can't be Jesus because he's dead. And we're still under Roman oppression. See, they missed the Savior. And they missed the reality that all of the blessings of Abraham were pointing to and fulfilled in Jesus. Similarly, in John chapter 8, Jesus says to the Jews, he says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you know and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And guess how the Jews respond? More Abraham name-dropping. We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone, which is a really weird argument. It's confusing because it seems as though the Jews were enslaved to everyone all the time, right? Isn't that the Old Testament? But anyway, so that's, we are offspring of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say we will become free? And Jesus responds with a pretty long series of answers, but the highlights. Jesus says, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did, right? The obedience of faith. But now you seek to kill me. If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. You are of your father the devil. And your will is to do your father's desire. Not pulling any punches, right? They're claiming Abraham and Jesus is like, you didn't understand Abraham. You obviously don't understand why I'm here because Satan's your daddy. That'll get some people worked up, right? So in our text, Paul is simply elaborating on what John the Baptist implied and what Jesus explicitly taught, that true descendants from Abraham or true descent from Abraham is not physical but spiritual. Abraham's true children are not those with impeccable Jewish genealogy, but those who believe as Abraham believed in faith which means that we can't claim to belong to Abraham unless we belong to Jesus. And it is this dichotomy between the literal, physical descent from Abraham and the figurative, spiritual descent that Paul is illustrating by these two sons, Ishmael and Isaac. And there were two important differences between them. First, they were born to different mothers, right? Ishmael's mother was Hagar. She was a slave woman. Isaac's mother was Sarah, a free woman, which means that Ishmael was born into slavery, but Isaac into freedom. And secondly, they were born 
in different ways. Verse 23 says, The son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. So Ishmael was born according to the flesh or through the course of nature. It was according to the flesh because Sarah grew impatient and tried to take God's promise into her own hands. She tried to solve the problem and fulfill the blessing or the promise of God in her own power. It was fleshly. And Ishmael's birth was also according to the flesh because it was through the normal course of nature. A fertile woman birthed child. Isaac, on the other hand, he was born against nature. Sarah was a 90-year-old barren woman whose body was beyond the physical age that she could bear a child. And yet this birth defied what is natural. As we read in Hebrews 11, 11, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Ishmael was born by nature. Isaac against nature. He was born supernaturally. Ishmael was born out of fleshly desire while Isaac was born through the promise of God. So the difference between these two sons is that Ishmael was born a slave according to nature, whereas Isaac was born free according to promise. And Paul recognizes this as an allegory. It has deeper meaning, namely that Everyone is a slave by nature. We are born slaves to the flesh and under the law until through the fulfillment of God's promise, they are set free. So everyone is either an Ishmael or an Isaac, either still by nature a slave or by the grace of God free. And in verse 24 through 27, Paul continues the allegorical argument as well as con the, the contrasting of the natural and the spiritual or that which is by nature and that which is by promise. He says, now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem. For she is in slavery with her children, but the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. So, Paul obviously shifts to talking about the moms. And Hagar represents the old covenant, that is, the law given at Mount Sinai in Arabia, she represents the bondage of the law, and she relates to the present physical city of Jerusalem. So, Hagar represents all of these physical realities of Judaism. And Paul is contrasting these physical, natural representations of Jewish life with the spiritual realities they represent in God's redemptive plan through Jesus. See, the old covenant people were the ethnic Jews. 
They were the present Jerusalem, the physical city which was the epicenter of their faith. This is the natural, physical Jerusalem, and they are in slavery to the law. But the new Jerusalem, the spiritual Jerusalem is free. She is not a physical place, but a spiritual family. As God told the woman at the well, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. The hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people. So if Hagar, Ishmael's mother, the slave woman, stands for earthly Jerusalem and Judaism, then Sarah, Isaac's mother, being a free woman, stands for the Jerusalem above, the Christian church, the body of Christ, the new covenant reality of salvation through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. We are citizens of a new kingdom, of the new Jerusalem. And this citizenship is not bondage, but freedom. It's not through nature or works or merit, but through the promise of God and faith. Paul goes on in verse 27 to quote Isaiah 54. He says, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. And so this was originally a prophecy over the Jews when they were in Babylonian captivity. They felt like God had abandoned them and this prophecy was God proclaiming restoration and fulfillment of his promise of descendants as great as the stars in the sky. And what Paul is doing is he's saying that this prophecy has been fulfilled in our midst. It's been fulfilled. Not just that the historical Jews were freed from Babylonian exile, but the fullness of God's promise has been and is being fulfilled in Jesus. And it's not just an ethnic, earthly city, but an eternal family from every tribe and every tongue and every nation. That was always God's plan. So Abraham had two sons, Ishmael and Isaac, born of two mothers, Hagar and Sarah, who represented two covenants, and two Jerusalems. Hagar the slave stands for the old covenant, and her son Ishmael symbolizes the religion of the earthly Jerusalem, a covenant of works. And Sarah the free woman stands for the new covenant. And her son Isaac symbolizes the church of the heavenly Jerusalem and the covenant of grace through Jesus Christ. They were both sons of Abraham, and yet fundamentally different. And so Paul's argument is that it's not enough to claim Abraham as our father. The crucial question, allegorically speaking, concerns who our mother is. If it's Hagar, then we are like Ishmael in slavery and bondage. But if it's Sarah, through promise and faith, we are like Isaac, children of the new covenant, free in Christ through faith. 
Which brings us to Paul's application. In verse 28, he says, Now you, brothers like Isaac, are children of promise. If we are Christians, we are like Isaac. Our descent from Abraham is not physical, but spiritual. Not by natural means, but supernatural through promise. And Paul moves from that proclamation to the reality that if we are like Isaac, we will be treated like Isaac. Verse 29, just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh, Ishmael, persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. Paul's talking about the persecution that will come upon true believers. Just as we read from Genesis 21 verse 9 that Ishmael mocked Isaac. He scorned Isaac. Paul is saying we also will be persecuted by our metaphorical half-brothers. By the legalistic, moralistic, nationalistic, religious establishment. Because as we all know, persecution doesn't always come from the unbelieving world. The Lord Jesus was bitterly opposed by his own people, by the present Jerusalem, by the religious establishment who mocked and condemned him. And in the same way, the greatest adversaries to Paul's mission weren't unbelievers. I mean, he had some run-ins. But it was the official church of the day, the keepers of the law. It was the Jews. This was the Catholic papacy in medieval times persecuting Protestant minorities. And even to this day, the greatest threat to the church is not the world out there, but power-hungry religious hierarchies and political influencers who use Christianity as a tool to forward their gospel-anemic agendas and power grabs. See, just as the meekness of Jesus was seen as weakness in the eyes of the religious elite, as they did everything they could to protect their power and to grasp for more, If we follow Jesus by faith, we will be scorned by him, like him, (laughs) not by him. We will be scorned like him. Jesus told that, that to us himself, like you will be persecuted. Isaac will always be mocked and persecuted by Ishmael. But take heart, Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But the righteous will always be persecuted by those who are in bondage to the law as they try, like these Judaizers, to bring us under subjection. But we are free in Christ, heirs with Christ, Sons and daughters of the living God, citizens of the Jerusalem that is above. And Paul makes the divergence of these two paths very clear. Between law and promise in verse 30, he quotes Genesis 21 saying, Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit 
with the son of a free woman. See, this freedom is offered and available to all. It is a gift of grace for all who trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It's a salvation and promise that was first proclaimed to Abraham back in Genesis 12. And throughout all of Scripture, we see God miraculously bringing this promise to fulfillment. And God, his promises never wavered. Through Sarah's laughing, their impatience, their attempts to bring about the promise by their own power, even the physical impossibility for her to conceive, God's promise never wavered. He gave them a son through promise, through supernatural means, a son through whom his plan of redemption would continue. And I know that this text is a hard one. And even everything we just walk through is probably hard to follow. But what I hope you see through it is the lengths to which our God went to procure our redemption. The patience of our God when we doubt Him. When we try and go our own way and make things happen for ourselves. God is faithful to His promises And he has made a way for us to be free from the bondage into which we are all brought into this world. And Paul closes out this chapter with these words. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. I pray we take this to heart. We are free in Christ. And that's what we'll be talking about the next two Sundays as we continue. But there are two covenants, the old and the new. There are two Jerusalems, physical and spiritual. And we must choose. We must. We can cling to the religion of Ishmael, who represents the natural man, man's achievements, what man can do apart from God. And it may bring temporary joy or fulfillment, but it is a life of enslavement and bondage, and its terminus is death. But the religion of Isaac is a religion of grace, of what God has done and is doing. It is a religion of God's divine working of all things together for good, for those called according to his purpose. It's a new kingdom where we live as free men and women, alive in the Spirit. It's not an easy life. As Paul made clear, we will face persecution. We will struggle. God's timing will likely not be our timing. But God is with us in the midst of every trial, through every suffering. And it is only through Christ that men are set free. For only in Christ can we inherit the promises, receive the grace, and enjoy the freedom that God has promised to all who believe. Let's pray together. Father God, it is humbling to know that redemption through Jesus was always the plan. God, that when you promised Abraham descendants, your plan was so much greater 
than Abraham or anyone could have ever imagined. God, we are your people, united through the blood of Jesus into your eternal family, called to be a living embodiment of your love. God, we pray that the way we live out our faith together through the freedom that we have in Christ would resound with glory to your name. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Thank you for worshiping with us through the preaching of God's word. We exist to glorify God by making disciples. We would love to have you join us in person as we gather together on Sundays at 10 a.m. at the Covenant Preparatory School on Hamblin Road in Kingwood, Texas. To learn more about Christ Church Kingwood, visit our website at ChristChurchKingwood.org.